0: We, uh, we're going to come to the Word of God this morning. It's great to be together, great to worship God, great to give Him praise, great to be sort of led also with some sense of what God's heart is. God's always got a heart for when people gather, because um, God's called us to be a prophetic people. Yeah. It's not just about giving a prophecy, it's being a now people. And uh, there's a prophetic spirit at work in the church this morning, and a sort of sense that perhaps the Word of God just wants to back that home as well as we come to Him. There's going to be a verse that goes on the screen in a moment or two, which will be a familiar voice to some of you. But let me just let you into the life of a, of a speaker, preacher, leader uh, for a moment or two. Because uh, Sundays have a, a tendency to come round with great regularity. They tend to happen every seven days. And um, sort of, um, you, you've sort of really got to sort of uh, be on the ball with it. Uh, we're just in a little uh, um, phase, uh, season of three or four weeks, where uh, we're just going to spill our hearts on one or two Uh, particular situations. We've done uh, this year already some teaching on prayer and and on giving and Christian particularly took the bulk of that. We talked about changeless values in a changeless world. The reality is that um, right into our 21st century world God's got something to say and then leading up to the fantastic big idea weekend of last week, wasn't it awesome? We talked about big and we rounded that off last Sunday morning with just a little message on the fact that God wants to bring a big catch in these days. And it was just great to uh, sort of do church out in the open air as well. Just a great uh, expression of what God is doing. And so uh, this week I've been particularly involved in the Assemblies of God conference, which I went to Manchester with, with Sharon on Monday. Three or four long days, but just to say thank you for praying. And thank you for people from Arena that took some time to come and support the conference. Well over 800 people, a great spirit a great heart, some great ministry. We were blessed by the ministry of Pastor Dominic Yo, who's the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Singapore, a nation where 15% of the population is born again. But Dominic says we've still got 85% to go out. So they've got lots of big churches on that, in that small nation, and God's doing an amazing expression of his work. Christian will like Dominic forever because this guy is just a huge Liverpool fan. I mean huge to the extent that he had Wednesday afternoon off and Aaron Partington John's son took him to Anfield and uh, he uh, was rather disappointed that the Carling Cup the latest cup that Liverpool won um, wasn't in the trophy cabinet it was at the training centre and the guy says absolutely no chance you're going to see it mate I'm sorry until they were just about to leave and the security guard came to see him and Derek who was accompanying uh, Dominic on the trip and says the cops just arrived back and they videoed it and put it up on the screen for us the following morning and he was unpacked out of this great big box with numerous bolts and locks on it and Dominic was able to hold the trophy yeah. you've never seen a smile like it in your life this guy was just pumped but he just felt a prophetic uh, heart in terms of all that um was sort of contained in that moment in the sense of God so heaven, heaven kissing earth and sort of giving us a trophy of grace in these days it was a very powerful moment but a wonderful brother and i love people friends that god's using in amazing ways that have churches of thousands that actually can really live with a spirit of humility as well and Domin- Dominic was all of that and it was great to meet him so we're rejoicing that but i come to thursday night um it's just after 10 o'clock it's been a long day uh, and I, I sort of thought, I tell you what, I'm going to lie on the settee. I'm going to watch Question Time. It's one of my favorite programs. I sometimes throw tea at the screen when I hear some of the comments. But, but um, I don't know what happened, but I, I never even heard the start in music. Because about 20 past 12, I emerged from a sleep, you know. I never even saw Question Time. And I thought, better go to bed. And of course, as you know, when I went to bed, I couldn't get to sleep. because So I thought, and then I began to think about Sunday morning, you see. Sunday morning because I was on to speak and I really just felt that um, this morning God just wanted to remind us of the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives and then Christian mentions in our pre prayer time together as team that where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and Julie picked up on that prophetic heart to lead us in that great song and here we've got this verse that you'll know and uh, in a a spirit-filled Pentecostal church this is a verse that's very dear to our hearts. It comes from Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. The same he's trying to find that little book towards the end of the Old Testament. It is there, believe me. Uh, We've put it up on the screen. It says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And if you want a a, a title this morning, we've not got a strap lined up, because I say we're just entering a little season of me, a Teen Challenge next week. Christian's got a real word on his heart for the week after. And then we hit the Jubilee weekend. So just three or four weeks, we're just going to uh, spill some ministry as God leads us. But if you want a title for this morning's uh, message, it would simply be this, oil check. Oil check. Those of you that uh, drive cars will know that occasionally you need to check your oil. And uh, if, if you don't, then you, you, you set yourself for a potential for some problems. We'll come to that. In a moment or two. But I want to set the scene for this verse. Zachariah is what we call one of the minor prophets. There's 12 books at the end of the Old Testament. There's a temptation sometimes not to read them. Think, well, they're a bit hard work. And what sort of relevance have they got to today? And, and, uh, but I, I'd really encourage you sometimes to get into these books. Because the genius of the scriptures is, friends, that they do speak into our lives today. Zechariah is what uh, we know as a, a post-exile prophet and those of you that have maybe read a little bit about the history of the people of God in the Old Testament will know there are times when God had to bring chastisement and discipline because the people turned from him. One of those seasons was that they were taken away to a northern territory, a northern kingdom of Babylon for 70 years. Some of the Psalms came out of that post, that time in exile and of course we, we talked about Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was one of those that came back from exile and led the building of the walls. But also, Zerubbabel, because the word of the Lord came to him, was a, a governor that led a group of people back to seek to rebuild the temple that had been raised to the ground when that northern army came down those 70 years before. And Zechariah was a prophet that came to speak into that situation. He was a contemporary of Haggai. Just before, two verses, two two chapters. Whoa, that's a a funny name. One One of my favorite books in the Bible. Just a fantastic book of God's restoring purposes over people's lives. Why does the prophetic word come to us, friends? Because the prophetic word is forever seeking to stir us, To fulfill the destiny of God's purpose over our lives, over our church, over our nation, and over the nations. And the reality is, as Christian reminded us this morning in the worship time, the enemy just doesn't sit back and say, hey, great, God's building his church. I'll just sit back and let it happen. He fights, he scratches, he claws, he does dirty to prevent God's people getting to where God wants them to be. So there are times when God has to come and stir the people of God to say, you can do it. You see, what had happened in this context, briefly, the fact of the matter is that the people had come with a great intent to begin to rebuild the temple. They'd started, but to quote that uh, wonderful quizmaster, uh, now no longer with us, uh, they didn't finish, Mr. Magnusson. They started, but they didn't finish. Here's the truth. God wants you to be a starter, but he also wants you to be a finisher. That is the example of Jesus. He is the author and finisher of the faith. And so the Bible tells us in Haggai that the people had been content to build their own houses. In other words, friends, they've lost the priority of what God wanted them to live out their life for. I find that around at times. See, God's called us to be devoted followers of Jesus. But if you take your eye off the ball, if you allow the passion of God to be doused in your life, over a period of time, what will happen is you become bothered about you, but not bothered about God's. And when you become bothered about you and not bothered about God, God brings the prophetic word. He brings the prophetic word to get us back on track. He brings the prophetic word to get the attention off you and back onto the purposes of God. And the prophetic word at times can be discomforting. It can be challenging. It can dig deep into our hearts. But friends, it's always a loving God crying out to his people to say, come on people, be what I've called you to be. These people got discouraged. These people got disinterested in building the house of God. These people got dissatisfied because one of the reasons they stopped building was because they thought that whatever they built was ne- would never be as good as what had been built in the past. You ever heard anybody tell you when you're passionate about seeing the kingdom of God come, just settle down because it'll never be as good as the past. It'll never be as good as that day of the past when we used to do this And we used to do that. I want to say, friends, thank God for the past. Because every one of us here this morning, certainly those of us that are believers, are a result of the past. People that have prayed in the past. People that have preached in the past. People that have opened the church buildings in the past. But the prophetic spirit never determines us by the past. It speaks into the present so that we might walk into the future and be all that God has called us to be. And so Haggai and Zechariah came to minister to the people. You see, when you come to a place of taking your eyes off God and bringing your eyes on yourself, something happens. You stop. You may not think you've stopped, but you've stopped. You've heard Christian and me say on a number of occasions that the tactic of the enemy, friends, is not necessarily for you to go out and do something immorally stupid. It is that, but it's not necessarily that. It's not to get you to rob a bank tomorrow. Sometimes it's simply to get you to stop. And you can turn up at church for the next twenty or thirty years, but actually in your heart you've stopped. You've stopped making progress, you've stopped going forward, you've taken your eyes off Jesus, and He's very content for you to go through the religious motions as long as he knows that in your heart you've stopped. You see, when churches stop, they lose momentum. When churches stop, they become apathetic to progress. When churches stop, they're not bothered about when the last person got saved. When churches stop, they're not stirred by the fact there's not been baptisms for a long time. When churches stop, they're not interested in new people coming to church. When churches stop, they perpetuate maintenance, but they ignore mission. And the reason, friends, that the church is in the earth today is not to maintain the status quo, but to mission to a lost world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. It may be today, friends, that as Christian was alluding to in the worship time, there have been some issues and problems and circumstances and trials that have come to your play, to your world. Sometimes we tend to think that that's because of us, it's maybe our fault, our reason. The Bible says, that actually there's a time in all of our lives where we go through those situations. But it may be that you've given out to God, you've poured out to God, you've decided to love God, you wanted to serve God, and somehow you've become discouraged. Somehow you've become actually disinterested in what God really wants to do in your life. Maybe you've become dissatisfied because you thought, whatever I'm determined to do in the future, it's never going to be as good as what I enjoyed in the past. It may be out of that hard experience that stood within you, that actually you've, you've drawn up the drawbridge of your openness to God on your giving, on your serving, on your building. It may be that other people haven't recognized it, but you know you've done it. You know that you've, you, you're actually not as open to God as you was. You know that you're not as passionate about his voice. You know that actually there's a tendency in you to think about you, but stop thinking about God. And I want to say today that God wants to come and encourage that sort of person in the room to believe that God wants to do something fresh in your life. And what about the challenges in our society, in our world at large? They are absolutely huge, friends. And I'm going to share a few things with you in a moment, not to overwhelm you, but to stir your heart to believe that as we've often used in Christian, particularly in this church, we must ever be outward facing. We are not here, friends, just to perpetuate what we've got. We're here to touch a needy world. Here's the truth. God wants us to reach out in an amazing way. One of the great themes of our conference last week was to mission to a needy world. Somebody from our church says to me after one of the evening services, The interesting thing is that whilst we can feel challenged by what God says, the heartwarming thing also is that we can feel a sense of confirmation. That what is taking place in our church at this particular time confirms something of the heartbeat of God. See, it'd be pretty tragic today if we came back from a national conference and says, tell you what, friends, we ought to start doing mission. Here's the truth, friends, we are doing mission. We're doing mission on the doorstep of our church in what was described recently in a local TV program as the most deprived community in Derbyshire. We're doing mission. We're doing mission every week. We're doing mission into different contexts that reach out into this area. We're doing mission, friends, that spills out from this church, way beyond the geographical context of this church. We're doing mission that actually impacts people in other nations. But there's so much more for us to do. And it needs you and it needs me to be fully engaged with the purposes of God. Why do we need to do mission? Well, because in the last 20 years in Europe, confirmed atheism has increased by 400%. And some of you that are in work environments will know that that expression of, I don't believe in God, has become more adversarial and abrasive in recent times. We need to do a mission because every year, 28 million people across our world die of curable diseases, dying with no need to. We need to do mission because 1.2 billion people in this world have no access to clean running water. We need to do mission because half the world's population, 3.5 billion people, live on the equivalent of two American dollars a day. That's about 150. We need to do mission, friends, because there are 7,500 unreached. That is where there is no witness amongst them, people groups in the earth. We need to do mission because one of the newly emerged Balkan nations, Montenegro, two and a half hours Air flight from East Midlands Airport, 750,000 people in that nation has less believers in that nation than what belonged to Arena Church. We need to do mission because in a recent survey in a popular national newspaper at Easter time, out of all the thousands of people that were asked in our nation what was Easter about, only 17% replied that it was a celebration of the death and resurrection of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I hope you realize, friends, that we don't live in a Christian nation anymore. We bless God for the heritage, but right where we live, there is need for a mission. And we can build our own houses, and we can worry about ourselves. But I want to say, friends, that if we are open to the prophetic heart of God, he's not going to allow us to do that. He's going to come again and again and again to present the landscape that's around us and stir us with a prophetic call to action and response a and mission. And so, Haggai and, ja- and Zechariah worked together, and it was interesting how God used two gifts working in tandem. Haggai was the pragmatist, the practitioner. He basically came with a word. It was this: "God's with you. Get on with it." That's, that's basically what he says. But then we've got the picture prophet. Whoa, we've all met them, haven't we? I see a picture. This is Zechariah. He saw pictures all over the place. Friends, I've no problem with people seeing pictures as long as something comes out of it. I don't want folks describing pictures to me forever and ever and nothing ever happening. He presents a picture in order to stir the people to do something. And in chapter 4 of Zechariah, you thought I forgot it, but we're coming back to the text. The word of the Lord said to Zechariah in verse 2, What do you see?" Now describe it briefly. He saw a gold lampstand. And on top of the gold lampstand was a bowl. And from the gold lampstand went seven lamps. And the gold lampstand was flanked by two olive trees that poured oil into the bowl and caused the lampstand to shine. I don't want to go to the wider implications of what those two olive trees symbolized. I don't want to go there this morning. I want to remind us that the prophet saw the need of oil to make the lampstand shine. And it's interesting that within the context of the picture, he draws our attention to the work of the Holy Spirit. Because as he sees this picture, he pronounces, To Zerubbabel, the leader of the discouraged, disinterested, dissatisfied people of God. It's not by might. Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Peterson in the message says, you cannot force these things. They only come about through my spirit. And here's the truth, friends, this morning, as we take an oil check of our lives personally and corporately in Arena Church, we can have all the human ingenuity, creativity, and originality that we can think of, and I'm all for it, But if we try and build this thing without the Spirit of God, it is doomed to failure. Because it's not by might or by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And you'll know that in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is described in a number of picture forms. It's to help us understand his work. He's described as a dove. He's described as wind. He's described as fire. He's described as Water. But of course, on many occasions, the Holy Spirit is described as oil. And in a Middle Eastern context of which the Bible was originally written, that would resonate in the hearts of the people very, very easily. And I want to encourage us today to believe afresh that oil will flow in our hearts. I believe, friends, that Arena Church is being positioned for such a time as this to carry a strong missional heartbeats Jerusalem where we live Judea the area Samaria cross-culturally and to the ends of the earth there is no geographical restriction on the missional call to our church in 2012 God wants us to do it together as we were reminded this morning again in the pre-prayer time he wants us to come together he wants us to stay together And he wants us to work together. If you think you can do this with an individualistic approach to the kingdom, you're deluded. It's not going to work. God's for team. God's for body. God's for accountability. God's for submission. God's for all those things that cause us to work together. It's not about you. It's about what God is doing through us. We recognize a past, but we see a future that is even greater We're not intimidated by the spiritual malaise that surrounds us. I'm going to bring some encouragement to that in a moment. But we are motivated by the power of God at work in us to believe that there is going to be change. This is not hype. This is the prophetic word to the church in these days. And we can believe that God will do it. If there's no oil, if there is no oil flowing, friends, no spirits, no chance. Sharon and me have a little saying which we just bounce off each other sometimes, is there oil on it? I've been to some meetings, friends, church meetings, where there's been no oil. They've seemed sometimes not three hours, but three days. They've seemed sometimes not 30 minutes, but 30 hours. They've seemed, friends, boring. They've seemed lacking in originality. They've seemed turgid. They've seemed as though we're grinding things through because there's no oil. I want to say today that whatever you're gifting, you can have oil over it. You may be somebody at the back desk that wouldn't be seen dead at the front of the church, but we need oil on the back desk. Administration, organisation, ministration, car parking, serving teas, giving a great welcome, friends. What makes this church work is that there is oil being poured on it. If I can use a phrase, friends, which lots of people would have liked in terms of seeking to make a fortune, this church needs to be oil rich. It needs to be easy for God to come and dig his wells and to find oil bursting out all over us. Oil that affects the head, that runs down the beard, and touches every person in the church in a spirit of unity because there the Lord commands the blessing. I've seen some people, times, friends, lambast the people because there's no oil in their lives. But if there's no oil on the headship, it's not going to get to the people. It works like that. And I want to encourage you in these moments to believe that God's going to pour oil on your life afresh. And briefly, and I mean briefly, I'm just going to bullet point. I'm going to give you six things that oil does. Because it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I, I, The Spirit of God working as oil in us to minister to us. And I encourage you to take an oil check today. If I can use it, friends, I I encourage you right now to allow the Holy Spirit to take the dipstick from heaven and dig it deep into your heart and see what the level of oil is in your life. It may be that this morning you need a top-up. It may be this morning that you need an oil change. It may be that it's a long time since you checked the oil. Little wonder that the cogs are grinding. Little wonder that it's become hard work. Little wonder that you felt enfeebled for the battle. Little wonder that you've taken your eyes off God and put it on your own house, your own priority. Little wonder that you've become dissatisfied, thinking it's never going to be as good in the future as what it was in the past. But when oil begins to flow, everything changes. Firstly, friends, oil illuminates. When we were kids, you know i look back at my mum and dad i don't even know how they put this together we used to go for a week's holiday to the coast We're a bit of a tribe of us as i've mentioned before so we, we go to mabel Thorpe, ingamouse oh ingamouse market <laughs> you know and uh, I can remember now arriving at the caravan and then going to the slotties running to the slotties it's, it's the slot machines you know and uh, and uh, you know we we thought it we thought it was the end of the world it was it was fantastic but we used to be in one of those caravans with the oil lit lights. Can you remember them? Woof. You know, and me dad would get the match out. And then you get this woof of smell. And about four hours later, the smell had gone, you know. And I'm not that old, but that's what we used to do. You know. In other words, it was used for illumination. Some of you can remember even the old street lights where the guy used to tend the wick of the light, the oil lights. It illuminates. And friends, when we're full of oil, we inevitably shine. We were reminded in the big idea season that we're called to be a light in this world that cannot be hid. We're called to be salt that brings a preserving uh, expression to people. We're called to be a city on a hill that cannot be hid. We're not called to put a cover over our lights, but we're called to shine. And let me say this, that sometimes we need to shine before we speak. There have been too many Christians that have spoken before they've shined. little, little point you telling everybody at work to get saved if you're late for work every morning 20 minutes. Because the boss thinks this guy's a joke. That's what he thinks. You can tell him all about Jesus. You need to shine by being there 10 minutes before you're supposed to start. And then he gives you a platform to share the faith. We need to shine. We need to beam. We need to radiate. We need to emit something. What comes off your life i speak to people at times an offense comes off their life arrogance comes off their life self-sufficiency comes off their life but god says that he wants fruit to come off our life of love and joy and peace and goodness and all those wonderful things see when i met pastor dominique last week what came off his life was a genuine humble man of god he could have strutted himself He could have told me about his church of 7,000. He could have told me that he's now on the world executive of Assemblies of God worldwide. He didn't say any of those things. I said, hello, Pastor Dominic, because I understand in Asia and Australia, that's something of the culture. He says, Dominic's fine, Phil. Thank you. He told me something. Oil illuminates, but also oil lubricates. Quite recently, the oil light came on on my car. I'd have been absolutely foolish to say, ah, just carry on. And then wonder why, you know, some days later there was smoke pouring out of the car. I needed to check the oil level. And there are people in this room this morning where the oil light's coming in your spiritual heart and you completely ignored it. Just carrying on, living in your own strength, doing your own thing and wondering why it's hard work. Because this morning, you need to let oil pour into your heart. To uh, to lubricate the engine, it's called the heart. And Proverbs 4.23 says that out of the heart, out of the engine of your life, come the issues of life, the way that you speak, the way that you conduct yourself, the integrity of your heart, the righteousness of your heart, the priority for the house, the way that you give, it all pours out of the engine. There's a battle on for the engine of your world. The enemy loves it when the cogs grind together. When the smoke, when you're stuck on the side of the motorway, metaphorically, where you're going, nowhere. He loves that. Because he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life in all of its fullness, super abundantly. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16 that when the body is well lubricated, when its oil is flowing in the body, it tells us, that all the joints of the body work together. This is what it says from him. The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thirdly, oil motivates. Paul, David says in Psalm 23 that you anoint my head with oil. It propelled him, friends, into actions of faith. And for example, in 1 Samuel 17, he was confronted with a great big giant that was a lot taller than him, a lot wider than him, a lot louder than him, that sought to intimidate the purpose of God. And when Goliath cried across the valley every morning, the people quaked with fear, until this person that understood that he was anointed with oil from God said, I'll take him on, he was laughed to scorn. Isn't it amazing, friends, how many times leaders, that when they want to do something from God, its fellow leaders said, calm down. Oh, we heard about it even last week. So somebody that had a passion to build a church in one of our great cities, and somebody basically said before it started, don't-stop-me-now moment, you'll never do it. But his head was anointed with oil. And you see, when, when David was confronted with Goliath, he thought about the lion and the bear that he'd, slown, he'd slain already, to protect his father's sheep. He was ready for this moment of destiny to take on something that seemed to be far bigger than himself. And this morning, if you're confronted with a giant, I want to say that you'll never defeat it in your own efforts, but you'll defeat it when you understand that your head is anointed with oil, which motivates you to go into the battle with confidence in God, to believe that the giant will come and lay at your feet. Edmund Hillary, one of my heroes, became the first man along with... Norgay Sherpa tending To Conquer Everest, 1953. And he said these words, when the going gets tough and things go wrong, the same qualities are needed to win through as they were in the past. Qualities of courage and resourcefulness, the ability to pull it with discomfort and hardship, and the enthusiasm to hold tight to an ideal and to see it through with great determination. What fuels that? Oil. Oil. Not self-effort not greeting your teeth, not trying a few more religious works, but the oil of the Spirit flowing over your head that sets you up to face the battle, but also to win. Oil authenticates. Back to David, 1 Samuel 16. You know the story well. Saul had failed the purpose of God, and God said to uh, Samuel the prophet, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. I'm going to show you who's going to be king. The seven sons of Jesse came past. It tells us the names of the first three. Every one of them seemed suitable. And every time that they came past, and Samuel said, is this the one? God says, no. You can almost feel the desperation of the prophet when he said to Jesse, is there anyone else? You know, I thought I got the word of God. And then God keeps saying, no, is there anyone else? And Jesse says, well, there's David in the field. He's the youngest. In the original language, he's not only described as the youngest in age, but of the least In other words, he was so much the least that he wasn't even called to the audience of Samuel in the first place. And when he walked through, there's that beautiful language in some of the more older translations, that he was a young man of rugged complexion. Love it. In other words, he got big red rosy cheeks. Just a teenager. God says, here's the guy. Here's the next king. We know some of the story for him to come to kingship. But that day, Samuel took the horn of oil and poured it over David's head as a sign that this was the authenticated choice of God. Friends, when are we going to learn that God doesn't look on the outward appearance, he looks on the heart? When are we going to learn that you don't fool God by simply putting on an exterior show? He is after your heart. And if he can get your heart and pour oil over it, he will take, he will take the situation. And he will take care of authenticating your life. You say, well, people have rubbished my life, but God hasn't. People have spoke negatively over my life, but God hasn't. People have stopped to try stop my destiny, but God hasn't. I want to tell you, friends, people have tried to do all those things to me. And they've failed miserably every time. Did it hurt? Absolutely. Did it wound? You bet. Did I feel down for a time? Yes. But I want to tell you, friends, that when God can get after our hearts, and we know that oil has been poured over our head, he will authenticate everything that he is determined to do in you. And nothing, no one, no man can stop him. Fifthly, oil alleviates. There's that amazing verse in James where it says, count pure joy the many trials that you go through. And why do we count? Things as pure joy at times, friends, because we realize what pain is producing. None of us like pain. But here's what Romans chapter 5 says. Therefore, we've been justified through faith with peace with God. And through him, we've gained access into this grace which we now stand. And not only so, but we glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who He has now given to us. What happened to the Good Samaritan when He found the man bleeding at the side of the road? He poured in oil and wine. And this morning, friends, perhaps through no faults of your own, it may be that you've gone through a painful situation and season, it may be that you felt some things deep in your heart. Actually, you need to realize. That God's producing something in you. He really doesn't want you to get bitter, but better. And one of the things that will help you is to allow him to pour oil into the wounds. Finally, friends, oil articulates. The psalmist says in Psalm 45 that my tongue will be the pen of a ready writer. My lips anointed oil with grace. When was the last time you said thank you to somebody in the life of the church? I appreciate you. I love you. I honor you. Oh, no, I'm not one of those types. When I tell you, friends, you better start being one of those types. Because when oil is on your heart, the reality is that it touches something within you that doesn't find a problem expressing it both to God and to people. See, one of the things we love to do in the house is to bring praise to God. That shouldn't be hard work. It really shouldn't. Because our tongues can be the pen of the ready writer. And I want to encourage you to allow oil to touch your heart that articulates good things that spill from you with oil-fueled words. So oil, friends, is amazing. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It illuminates, it lubricates, it motivates, it authenticates, it alleviates, it articulates. I want to say when oil flows, friends... God can do something amazing. I mentioned some statistics at the beginning that made you feel a little bit oppressed and discouraged and whoo. But here's what happens when oil flows. This week, we held our conference in a church that was a former Staples warehouse right on one of the main through of the great city of Manchester. Four or five years ago, 100 people. Today, nearly a 1,000. This week, friends, Destiny Youth Group, without any invitation to any other church, from the Christian Centre in Nottingham, led by Lawrence and Naomi James Davis, Alison and Ryan, you know, well, part of their leadership team, decided that they were sick to death of what took place at Rock City. Some of you have been. And so they were going to put on a Christian celebration of young people at Rock City Talbot Street last Wednesday. About 200 in the youth group on a regular basis. They prayed, they believed, they invited 840 young people were in Rock City on Wednesday night. They were queuing right up to the Welbeck Hotel and into the Talbot Street car park. Dozens of people came to Jesus Christ in Nottingham this Wednesday because oil floats. Two Friday nights ago, our national leader was at a prayer meeting at the O2 Arena down by the Thames in London. You need to hear me. This was the attendance at the prayer meeting that takes place twice a year. Predominantly from our black African community across this nation, 44,000 people at a Friday night prayer meeting that cost half a million pounds to put on. All the costs met right through that Friday evening into the early hours. People crying upon God to send revival to this nation. You see, when oil flows, anything can happen. And friends, I want to be in an oil-filled, oil-rich community. And I believe that you do as well. You say, well, we might not be there yet, but Zachariah encourages again, because verse 10 of the chapter says, don't despise the day of small things. As we were thinking last week, when we start small, God can do something big. You need to get around Christians sometimes, because he's not seeing small things, friends. He's seeing big. There's something stirring in his heart that's seeing big He's seen some influence, friends, that goes way beyond what we'd seek to be contained in. And we pray the oil will continue to flow on every aspect of that vision. I wonder what you need this morning from the oil of the Spirit. And I want to mention five things as I close, and then I'm going to pray. Maybe this morning you need to be oil convicted. In other words, you've never come to Jesus. And this morning there's something stirring in your heart that says, I need him. You need to respond. Maybe this morning you need to be oil clothed. Never been baptised in the Holy Ghost. Never has the Spirit's given utterance, spoken other tongues. Or maybe it's been a thousand years ago in your experience. You need to be Spirit clothed this morning. Maybe you need to be Spirit filled. The Bible says be being filled with the Spirit. You've allowed the dipstick from heaven to enter your heart today and it's on empty. The warning light's on your life. You need to be filled this morning again. You need to be fueled again to go to that Monday morning context. Knowing the oil is flowing all over your life. There's a boss at work that's resisted you. There's a manager that's been angry with you for no reason. There are people that have said things at work that aren't true. But oil is going to authenticate your life even this week and bring glory to God. Maybe this morning you need to be oil spirit led. I'm not talking about being freaky, but I'm hearing about the whisper, friends. I'm hearing about this week, picking up the phone and making that call, sending that text, writing that email, inviting that person to coffee, simply out of a whisper of the heart. Maybe you fresh this morning, friends. We all need to come and be spirit gifted because God's pouring out of his gifts in this day upon the church. When was the last time you prophesied? The Bible says all may prophesy. When was the last time you believed for a word of knowledge? When was the last time you prayed over somebody who says, God can use me to bring gifts of healing? When was the last time? An oil check. See, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And Haggai, working as a contemporary of Zechariah, reminded us that the promise of God is always this, that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the farm. There is no need for us this morning, friends, to be dissatisfied. There is no need for us to be depressed or downcast this morning. Thank God for what he's done in the past, but I want to tell you, he's going to do something greater Even in the future. Not because we're greats. Not because there's anything about us. But a community of people that allow God to do the oil check. And confess again. It's not by might. Nor by power. But it's by my spirit. Says the Lord. I wonder if we'll pray.